0: Neha, what's the tea? You mean the novelty?
1: Welcome to The Novelty, a podcast dedicated
0: to books. Not just the Western male centric works from your high school lit class, we'll also read books by women, people of color, and from around the world. We'll dive into literary technique and character analysis. But don't worry, we aren't afraid to spill the tea and give our unfiltered
1: opinions. Together we'll redefine the classics. Will today's pick stand the test of time? Keep listening to find out. Hi Neha. Hi. So, this week we're talking about jazz by Toni Morrison. I think You have a
0: summary of the book. I do. It's a very vague summary because I was like, well, if I start getting into the details of things, and I have to start explaining stuff, so yeah. So I, it's a very vague summary. Jazz by Toni Morrison is a story taking place in 1920s Harlem that explores the story between two main characters, Violet and Joe Trace. It basically just focuses on their individual past stories and trauma. And kind of revolves
1: around an affair that Joe has.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there were, not that the number of characters were a lot in this book, but they kind of like appeared without explanation. Um, so I, I had to like refer to Spark Notes a couple of times Me to be too. like, who is this? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so this character description that I'm going to go through right now is like, just as much for us as it is for the listeners, because I also need a refresher. So like Neha said, Violet and Joe are in some ways the main characters. Um, Violet is like a mid-50s woman living in Harlem. Um, Joe is her husband. They both were part of like a great migration from the South to New York City. Um, And then Dorcas is a young girl, I don't know how old, maybe 16, teenager that catches Joe's eye, or he catches her eye, and they have an affair. Alice is Dorcas's aunt and kind of her guardian. Dorcas doesn't have parents at the time the book is written or really that she has any relationship or history with. And so she, Alice is her guardian throughout the book. And then Dorcas has a friend, Felice, who doesn't play that much a role. But that's her friend. And then there's kind of a parallel story going on with Golden Grey, who is, there's Vera Louise Grey and Henry Lestroy, who had Golden Grey. And Vera Louise Grey is a plantation owner's daughter who runs off with men of color. So Golden Grey is their son, who's half black, half white. And he later goes to find his father, and that's kind of a journey he goes on. While he's on this journey, he sees this dark-skinned woman that he just calls Wild. Mm-hmm. And so that's another that's character. <laughs> another character. And then True Bell is Violet's grandmother, who is the maid or companion or whoever to Vera Louise Gray. So when Vera Louise Gray leaves. Or is it Rose Deer? I think it's <laughs> True Bell. <laughs> so when Vera Louise Gray leaves her like plantation area with her half black, half white son, Golden Gray, True Bell accompanies her and helps her raise him. She leaves her daughter, Rose Deer, back in Virginia. And Rose Deer is, ends up being Violet's mother. Yeah. Who, we don't know how old Violet is when this happens, but... Uh, Rose Deer killed herself at some point. So Violet also doesn't have a mother. Are there others? No, that's
0: all I wrote down. The only thing that I had in my notes was that, like, Violet Trace is a hairdresser and Joe Trace is a door-to-door salesman. And then at the beginning of the book, you sort of find out that Dorcas died. she was killed actually so So that's
1: not really a spoiler because that's the first chapter Mm -hmm. but also as always the rest of the episode is going to have spoilers yeah (laughs) so those are the characters I couldn't even keep them straight when I was talking about them it was very hard but anyways what theme did you pick
0: I think when I first picked the theme I didn't think it was obvious and then as I was reading the book it became more prevalent and I was like, okay, this is a very obvious theme, but it was violence. Just in the first passage of the book, they say, when the woman, her name is Violet, went to the funeral to see the girl and to cut her dead face, they threw her to the floor and all the church. So basically that being in like the first passage of the book, I was like, what the, what? And so that was very violent and so, Mm I guess we'll talk about
1: how that theme continues throughout the book, but what theme did you pick? I picked ambition. I kind of thought of that theme because part of the story is how Joe and Violet and all these other people leave their homes and go to the city, and there's kind of this captivation the city holds over them. Um, So that's how it started, but I kind of saw it in some other places, too. I think violence came up for me also. I Mm -hmm. made a note of like violence between and among women. And I just, one of my notes says, where is this coming from?
0: I know. I think in the book, it's strange, but Alice, who is Dorcas's aunt and her guardian, and Violet, who, as we found out in the passage that I read, disfigures Dorcas's corpse body weirdly become friends at some Mm -hmm. point but their friendship is toxic also in a way and in their description they start talking about knives and like killing and even their conversations were very violent and it kind of like caught me off guard where I was like these are two ladies from the 1920s they're supposed to be like good friends and they're just like talking about killing people I was mm-hmm.
1: like, this,
0: this seems really
1: violent yeah and a lot of the events that happen in the book are pretty violent too like people mm-hmm. being separated from their families like all these characters don't really have parents or mothers mm-hmm. and that also feels very violent the way it's all described and it's taken away from all of them.
0: Yeah, I think just like in general, it being set in the 1920s is probably, I feel like that's that was a decade of violence with slavery and people trying to escape slavery. And so, and also just the tone of the book, like the way that the writing is, the violence is so nonchalant that it almost, almost makes it seem more violent in a way.
1: Yeah. It's not focused on and given like really descriptive and like gory terms. It's just like very matter of fact. And if you think about a lot of the books that we know from the twenties and that era, it's very contrary to those like Gatsby and even the passage. Yeah, it's about the Roaring. 20s, yeah. yeah, it's just like these nice parties, like the Gats like great Gatsby just like throws all these parties and I mean, yeah, somebody dies on, like, the freeway or whatever, but that's the worst of it. And then even in passing, also someone dies. But, (laughs) um, you know, most of it, they're going to, like, dances and parties. And that's there in this book. But it's somehow very much in the background. Like, it's a backdrop to people's lives. And people's lives don't seem happy. They seem like the lives have a lot of violence in them. Yeah, I I agree.
0: And going with your theme, Ambition, I'm glad that you picked that because I feel like that does kind of turn a little bit of a positive note to the book because I think the book was very graphic and violent, like I said, and it's just kind of sad. It just talks about all these characters' trauma and all mm-hmm. these bad things that happen to them. But you're totally right. Like Ambition is a strong feeling in the book.
1: Yeah, it kind of goes along with the american dream or whatever that is part of like popular culture and mythology where they all go with this idea of pursuing a better future or better life and then life kind of gets ahead of them Mm -hmm. and like i was trying to figure out what is it that brings because there were a whole bunch of people that migrated to new york city and like the northeast around that time but for Violet and Joe, who are the characters in the book, like what is it that brings them to New York City, which had almost is like a character in itself in the book, like it's capitalized and it's described, it, it's almost anthropomorphized. Mhm. Yeah, because they ne- they don't actually say Harlem. They they mm-hmm. all refer to where they or live. or New
0: York. It's just yeah. The they just city. say the city. Mm-hmm. So it seems like this like it's weird because it's weird that you say that because. like you said, the city seems like a character in the book, but so did the narrator. Mm -hmm. For a long time while I was reading this book, I was trying to figure out who the narrator was. Me too.
1: I I have a question like very kind of throughout the book, but I literally wrote down who is the narrator? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Cause I, it, it seems like, so halfway through initially, It seems like a detached viewer, like maybe somebody who lived across the street from all this happening. But then halfway through the book, I thought it was Violet. Me too. Right? There's a point where she says, I know, like, that Violet, not me. And it's like, okay, so she's viewing her own actions from a distance viewpoint. But then there's also a point towards the end, it seems like it's Joe's perspective. And then it becomes a detached third person again
0: yeah I thought it it seemed like it was someone who had an obvious relation with the people that lived in their community Mm -hmm. but they never said who they were nor Mm -hmm. did they explain how how they knew these people but it just like how I imagined it was one of their neighbors just watching through a window of all Me these too. things happening and yeah, her just writing it down on the on third a book. Story. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. That's, That's how, how I imagine it is. too. It's and weird. Yeah. I don't know how she did that, that we both imagined the exact yeah. same thing, <laughs> but yeah, it's like somebody who's close to all these events, but not part of it. But then also she somehow weaves in and out where there's parts of the story that feel like they've dipped into Certain characters' consciousness, which she does. It's it's a narrative technique that a lot of people credit to Jane Austen, and it's called um, free indirect writing. And so, like if you like if you've read Emma, or like I think she does it best in Emma, um, maybe a little bit in Pride and Prejudice, but people really say Emma is where she demonstrates it well. Where the narrator is a third person, but the way certain sentences are phrased you know that it's the thoughts of a certain person like for example like in Pride and Prejudice where you're getting like a judgment of Darcy like it's not uh, like the pronoun's not I for Elizabeth but you know it's Elizabeth's thoughts but then Mm -hmm. later you also weave out of that and can go into Jane Jane's thoughts or Bingley's thoughts and so that was like one of the first times that appeared in history and I feel like Toni Morrison is doing that technically but she's doing it in a different way she's doing it as an onlooker like
0: yeah. when i was reading jane austen i wasn't thinking about who the narrator was mm-hmm. because it seemed so flawless and yeah it's and very fluid. Flawless. yeah but a, it this, seems a
1: little more intentional the way yeah that morrison does it in morrison's
0: um perspective she wrote it in a way that the narrative had her own judgment and opinions on people Mm. so it takes you away from there's no way this could be Violet because why would she be Mm -hmm. talking all this crap about Violet so it's interesting I feel like that really it took me out of the book but not necessarily
1: in a bad way yeah I agree it kind of zooms in and out in different parts yeah
0: and then I think we talked about this on one of our other episodes I want to say that it was the night watchman I can't remember but we talked about how in some cases the narrator may or may not be a reliable source of information Mm -hmm. and that question came up to me in this book too because I was like well this is obviously like an onlooker and she has all these opinions and obviously when we're reading her, his or her I'm assuming it's a girl because I just I don't know I'm just assuming it's a girl we're reading the book through her eyes so we make these same assumptions that she does but then I think midway through I was like well should I be believing everything she says
1: Mm-hmm. yeah I think she at the beginning kind of takes you into her confidence the narrator and then as things go on and you see how things play out you feel like you need to take a step back and and reassess how much you want to believe trust it Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. but I think with this book specifically I
0: think you and me were texting while we were reading it and saying that it's probably the most dense book we've done this season Mm
1: -hmm. it was
0: took me a very long time to read because I feel like I couldn't read for long periods of time yeah but my initial reaction to the book was that I wasn't the biggest fan and then I just started going through a rabbit hole of all the sim- symbols and the meanings of things and discussion boards and all this stuff about the author. And I almost wanted to reread the book because I felt mm-hmm. like I my first read didn't do it justice. Yeah. And so much more made sense once I realized that Toni Morrison, the author, is actually a poet mm-hmm. because her writing is very poetic. It's and really it's, poetic. Yeah, yeah, and it's not straight to the point, and it's not like direct in any way. It's every single sentence has like a double meaning,
1: mm-hmm. and I think
0: that's why it was it was so hard to read because you have to think about everything that you were reading and understand it. Mm-hmm. But I think I have a newfound
1: interest in this author because she,
0: I've just I don't think I've ever read anything like this.
1: Yeah, it's very unique the way she writes. And I agree, I feel like it was hard for me to read this book. I just felt like I was getting bogged down. Like reading this book felt to me like molasses. Like I that's such you, a good way of saying that. You, you know, yeah. like you it's so sweet and wonderful and like just pleasurable, but it's so sticky and dense and like bogs you down. But I really think what you said about her being a poet is very true, and the way she writes the book is also like, I mean, we can talk about this a little later. Like the title is jazz, and there's very clearly Mm -hmm. musical and poetic themes in the book too. Um, But the way she writes a lot of things are not enjoyable to read if you try to read it the way you read another novel. Yeah, like there was a sentence I highlighted. And my comment was, this sentence has to be sung. So I'll read it out because I think it has to be heard out loud for it to be appreciated. The city is smart at this, smelling and good and looking raunchy, sending secret messages disguised as public signs. This way, open here, danger to let, colored, only single men on sale, women, Wanted private room, stop dog on premises, absolutely no money, down fresh chicken, free delivery fast. And at first you're like, what? Like, this is just words. (laughs) And I don't think I read it as well as it probably could be read. But if you follow the words, they have a cadence and like a rhythm to them. The whole book is like
0: a spoken word performance, how everything nothing really rhymes in that sense. But like you said, Mm -hmm. everything has a rhythm and a cadence to it. And it's, everything is so meaningful too. Yeah. And so I feel like when I was reading the book, I was just so hell bent on like figuring out what the hell was going on, (laughs) getting caught up on like these sentences I was reading over and over again. And then once I finished the book, I immediately was like, I just, I, I need to read this book again now that I know what it's about. Because yeah. when you read a poem, you don't read it just once. You read it yeah. a bunch it of times. You analyze it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like this book needs to be treated the same way, where you read it the first time around just to understand what it's about. Then you read it a second time to understand it, and then the third time to analyze it. And mm-hmm. yeah.
1: I I wonder what this book would be like on an yeah, that's true. I feel like we should try that. I, yeah, that would be interesting to try. Because I feel like if you I if had a good narrator, I'm sure it would be really good. Mm-hmm. Just to go away from writing style a little bit and more into the plot and the characters. I wanted to talk a little bit about Violet and Joe as the main characters. Um, I just have lots of questions <laughs> about them. The first question that came up about their relationship that I really highlighted was... Why do they keep a photograph of the dead girl in their apartment? That's how, like, the second chapter or something, she's already dead, and the photograph just sits on their mantelpiece. Well, I how I <laughs> took it was I, I think
0: Violet is a very petty and aggressive woman. So I think she put it, and passive-aggressively, she put it up there, Mm -hmm. as a to prove a point to joe that i know Mm. what was happening and i'm not taking this down so like if you want to take it down you take it down like yeah it was just like a petty passive-aggressive move from her end but it's it just seems wrong like (laughs) putting up a picture of a teenage girl that your husband killed did
1: we say that yet did we say that joe killed dorcas I think you said it at the beginning. Okay. Well, after we yeah. talked about the summary. Yeah. Joe. Yeah. Joe kills. So that's Dorcas. like the inciting event for the. Yeah. The
0: events. Or like. The Which. Story. I also didn't understand.
1: Like. I didn't either. Why. why and why her. Like didn't. I didn't. I... It actually doesn't. Talk in the book that much about their relationship. And how they mm-hmm. met. Or like. Why they were interested in each other. It, it focuses more on. That they were having an affair. And that. Alice, Dorcas's guardian, felt like responsible for whatever, leaving her out of her safeguard or whatever. And that Joe kills her, and that Violet basically storms the funeral. Yeah. Like it focuses on events a lot. And um, maybe this is a time to bring it up, but there is an essay. So I was kind of looking at other pieces and works that might be good in parallel with Jazz, because um, I feel like it would be a good book that you can read alongside something else. And there's an essay by um, Zora Neale Hurston who wrote Their Eyes Were Watching God called Characteristics of Negro Expression. Um, And she writes it a contemporary-ish of, um, I wanna say Nella Larson who wrote Passing, but maybe Mm -hmm. even a little earlier. So she writes it around the time that this novel is set, like in the 1920s. And she talks about all these different Basically, the the essay says that you can't compare, you can't use white or Western standards to judge black art and expression. And she gives some kind of outline to approaching black expression and art. And she talks about drama and action and mimicry and rhythm and all these other things. And one thing that after I read it, I thought back about the events of the novel and I was like, that connects to that really well, which is Mm -hmm. that she talks about the idea of action words and how in a lot of colloquial language that black people at the time would have used or even now they say things like kill dead or boil pot Mm -hmm. and an action word is attached to a noun that makes it sound redundant but it focuses on the action that's happening and so when i read that and then i thought about jazz i was like the book really focuses a lot on actions and not reasons or motivations for them. Like we get a lot more about, yeah, like we get a lot more about the fact that he killed her and the fact that she was at a party. And actually, I don't know what happens towards the end. Like somebody whispers, like who did it? Do you remember that part? So I think what happens is they're telling, asking
0: Dorcas who did it, who did it? And she, refuses to say who because she doesn't want them to be chased
1: Mm -hmm. so and then she says like i'll tell you tomorrow yeah yeah that's what she whispers yeah i was like i don't get it (laughs) but maybe there's nothing to get yeah
0: that's what i think i think it was just her in her in like obviously she's dying so she's not thinking straight but she knew that she didn't want joe to have the repercussions of killing her so she's just like, I'll tell you tomorrow, but she also knows that she's dying. So it's just like her letting Joe get away
1: with it. Yeah, I guess so. Or like it shows that she doesn't blame him for anything that happened. And it's kind of yeah. like, oh, this is just something that happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't know if we mentioned, but this book
0: is based off of, isn't not based off of, this book is inspired by a series of funeral photos that Tony mm-hmm. Morrison saw in a book called The Harlem Book of Dead. And I was when I read that I was like that the fact that people can take a photo or a personal experience and turn it and weave it into this whole story is such a skill and a talent to have. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, there's this new movie that came out. Have you seen it? It's called the Menu.
1: I haven't, but I saw the trailer for it.
0: Yeah. So in the same way, the director said that he got the idea of that book because he went to an island on vacation for a day where they served him meals from morning to evening. And he realized that he had no way of leaving the island until he had finished all of his meals. And he pitched the idea to a bunch of people and nobody understood it. And finally, years later he made it into a movie and I always find like backstories like that. So inspiring here I am. Like I'm staring at like my mom's sewing machine in front of me. And I bet like a talented person could turn that
1: into a story. Yeah. It's really cool to see how the backstories lead to the, the product that we get to see Mm -hmm. and like what leads them to get inspiration from those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. So clearly, Toni Morrison was also using music as an inspiration to write this book because she named the book Jazz. Mm -hmm. But there is, like you said, no direct relation or talk about jazz or music really at all in this book. So what do you think of why it was called Jazz?
1: I thought about this a lot and I think... There's only one passage I remember that, maybe it's Alice, I bookmarked it, that she's talking about, like, she hears this music and just the emotions she feels and she, like, grips her apron and she wants to punch something um, or something like that. But that's the only, like, direct description of music that I could find. So, for a while, I was confused about why it was called jazz or what the connection was. But... I think she is referencing the origins of jazz Mm -hmm. and how it came about as like a style of music predominantly by like black and other people of color as like a hodgepodge of different styles and different experiences and kind of born out of necessity and how it was played in these places where there were only select audiences that would hear it. And there was no set rhythm or like tune, um, but they just kind of came together to create this. So that that's what I interpreted from the title.
0: Yeah, you talking about the article has made it a little bit more clear to me of why it might be called jazz. Like you said, there's a lot of action terminology in the book and not a lot of explanation of why. And I think that's what jazz is is there is no sheet music, there's no why, there's no direction, really, there's nothing but the sound of the music pulling people together. Mm -hmm. And I think in this sense, how we said that there was like that parallel story of Golden Grey, and then the stories of Joe and Violet, and then the story of Dorcas and her aunt, and all of these are different stories, but they all come together the same way that jazz does also that's such a poet move
1: yeah (laughs) um and just like you're saying about community the other part of the essay that i really liked um the zora Hurston essay was this section titled absence of the concept of privacy so if you don't read the rest of the essay but you only read this part i think it gives a lot of insight into this book jazz um and just like one quote from that section is There is no privacy in an african village loves fights possessions are to misquote woodrow wilson open disagreements openly arrived at the community is given the benefit of a good fight as well as a good wedding an audience is a necessary part of any drama and she talks about how like love and war and fights are not private issues in these communities they are kind of given an open forum, which I think is exactly the backdrop that I saw in this book. And obviously, yeah, she's obviously talking from her own perspective about a very specific moment in time and place. But um, I did see those descriptions in this book when you read that
0: passage. That's what the author is, or not the author. Sorry, the narrator is in this book. Is that person that's viewing all of these things happening and mm-hmm. unfolding in front of her, and then her just explaining what it is. And it's yeah, I I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Joe and Violet for a second because mm-hmm. okay, they're married, and Joe has this affair with this child, not child. Well, yes, child, child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And his whole thing is like, oh, she's young and she's energetic and she goes dancing with me and Violet. And and it's not like Violet and Joe weren't in love. They they were when they met and they moved to the city together and they were very much in love. But mm-hmm. in Joe's point of view, that faded away. I think also, in my opinion, it also faded away in Violet's perspective as well. But she was just like in the rhythm of her life and wasn't really yeah. thinking about anything else. And then Joe finds out that this Dorcas, the child, is going around with these other guys or one other guy. I forget what his name is and kills her. And then Violet gets mad and disfigures the Dorcas's corpse. And I got so mad about that because I was like, of course, she blames the woman. Like
1: I know. I remember <laughs> having that same thought so many times in this book where like Joe is just some treated as like some third party figure who has nothing to do with anything and has no responsibility for his actions. And all these women are just blaming each other.
0: It's also like Joe, I think, convinces their downstairs neighbor to let them use their her room to bring Dorcas to. And this lady just agrees and she's, well, I mean, not like readily agrees, but eventually yeah. she does agree to this. And I'm like, y- you are a woman and putting yourself, you're not putting yourself in the shoes of another woman who is getting cheated on and you're just okay with seeing this unfold in front of your eyes. And I was like, why is, why is nobody
1: supporting Violet here? Mm-hmm. She's very much like your business is your business.
0: Yeah. Like, except for, for, for giving it. me
1: money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's I found, I found it hard to follow the threads of things when we weren't given a lot of insight into the characters' emotions and motivations. Like, we just got events, and then we had to piece together, and people's interactions, and we had to kind of interpret what the motivations were. But it's very ambiguous.
0: Yeah, it is. I think they left a
1: lot up for the audience to kind of figure out
0: or interpret as their own. But... I guess me just reading just putting the facts in front of me I was like why is all of this happening like why why is nobody supporting Violet why is nobody blaming Joe why is Joe just moping around in his house not doing anything when he just yeah, killed like a woman Yeah like selling soap just yeah. like
1: still selling soap You
0: <laughs> just killed someone bro I like
1: No I'm like why is no one protecting Dorcas? Yeah I don't know there were a lot of whys, a lot of questions, yeah. What did you think about all the backstory? I felt like halfway through the book, the backstory became the main story and kind of took over.
0: i I've honestly found it a little bit hard to follow. I feel like I was googling stuff and like reading other people's opinions of stuff throughout the book because I didn't fully understand what was going on. I feel like this is one of those books where you kind of have to go chapter by chapter and then have a discussion immediately afterwards instead of what we're doing where we're finishing the book completely because I as I was reading I was confused and we try not to make to discuss too much about the book while we're reading it so we can save it for the podcast but I felt like a lot of times I was like does Trithi know what's going on here because I don't
1: yeah I was so lost I was like Neha's like way more through the book than I am like (laughs) does she get something that I'm missing? (laughs) Yeah, no, I was very Um, confused. But yeah, now that you say that, I like, I don't want to say it at the beginning, because I thought we should kind of discuss things first. But I felt like this book was, I don't know, like, I wish I had read the entire Spark Notes before starting, because then maybe I understood more. But then if you have to do that, I feel like, That defeats the point of... Yeah, I feel like if you have to do that for a book, it becomes a scholarly activity, which is, I guess, fine. Like, some books are like that, but it's not ideal for me. Like, I feel like the best books are really accessible and you can enjoy them while you read them, but then also they have layers to analyze. And with this one, I felt like I was just digging and trying to analyze. Like, there's a lot to analyze and a lot of symbolism Mm -hmm. and and motifs and themes and other things, but... (sighs) don't know it's that became like the main purpose of it for me I
0: I don't have anything bad to really say about the books I think it's very beautifully written and like you said has a lot of symbolism and obviously a lot of meaning in the book and talks about important things as well but I I had such a hard time reading it like I would have to go back like 15-20 pages and like start again because I didn't I felt like I was missing something.
1: Yeah. And there was almost something that felt like fairy tale like or allegorical about it. Like when you read an allegory, you're not reading it for the story, but you're like reading for what it represents. And I I think that's kind of how this book was. This is a really
0: this is one of those books where when you read it, I imagine myself like on a train ride and reading this book and every page has like post-it notes and underlines and all this stuff and it's not like the kind of book that you want to read when you're on vacation at a beach it seems like the kind of book that you really want to spend the time to yeah, you understand to be, like, it in a
1: Scottish library <laughs> yeah a very specific, deep in the stacks <laughs> a very specific part or maybe time. not Scottish like, maybe the New York public library to be a yeah where the setting is. <laughs> I imagine myself on a train for some reason. Like
0: mm. on a five, six hour train ride, just like I look so like mysterious. <laughs> like the girl this girl with this book and this notepad <laughs> <laughs> and like analyzing every word. I feel like if you can spend the time to do that for this book, it's a really good book. Yeah. But just to read like like kinda like we did just within a couple of weeks to talk about it i f- that made me not enjoy it as much cuz i felt like i was like just wanted to not really i didn't want to finish it just for the sake of finishing it it was just like i don't think i was reading the book at like the right time of my life i guess mm. i'm really glad that we picked this book for like our last book for this season because i think this book reminded me in some way or the other of every other book that we've read this season Mhm. So I think it was a really good like way to end the season. I wrote some notes on like how it kind of ties in all the books that we've read this season. But with the namesake, I was reminded because Joe is constantly struggling in this book of figuring out who he is, where he came from and mm-hmm. they talk a lot about his past and and how he became who he is and how he's still trying to figure it out. And so that kind of reminded me of Gogol's um struggle for to find his identity Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and the night watchman I think I already mentioned the narration part of it where it was very we were like questioning is the narration reliable and who is the narrator and then passing obviously it's set in a very similar timeline very opposing story styles Mm -hmm. but it's a very similar Somebody setting. dies and yeah, mm-hmm. very similar setting. Last White Man, I think this book is a very good example of how that poetic run-on, sen- not they don't do run-on sentences as much, but like long sentences, how it works. And The mm-hmm. Last White Man, it did not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> Crying in H. Mart, the author was very present in the storytelling of the book and same with this book.
1: Yeah, it's also um, crying in H-Mart is a lot about the relationship with her mother. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of this book is about that's not motherhood. explicitly, but yeah, the lack of mothers. Yeah, it's sad. It's really yeah, sad. it is. But yeah, oh, that's really nice. It does kind of touch on everything that we have read so far. Mm-hmm. So I have a passage um, that I highlighted. The one thing I wanted to talk about also was how each chapter I noticed, conti- there's a page separating each chapter from the next. S- the sentence of the previous chapter continues into the first sentence of the next chapter. So it's like this interesting structure where you have to read the previous chapter's ending to continue into the next chapter's beginning, but there's still yeah. like a visible break. It's not that it ends on the left sided page and it starts on the right sided page, there's a whole blank page in between. So that was interesting so i actually didn't a- know
0: that because i read the the ebook.
1: oh okay and- so let me actually read the last line of the previous one before i read the passage i selected she buttoned her coat and left the drugstore and noticed at the same moment as that violet did that it was spring in the city and when spring comes to the city people notice one another in the road Notice the strangers with whom they share aisles and tables and the space where intimate garments are laundered. Going in and out, in and out the same door, they handle the handle. On trolleys and park benches, they settle thighs on a seat in which hundreds have done it too. Copper coins dropped in the palm have been swallowed by children and tested by gypsies, but it's still money and people smile at that. It's the time of year when the city urges contradiction most, encouraging you to buy the street food. When you have no appetite at all, giving you a taste for a single room occupied by you alone, as well as craving to share it with someone you pass in the street. Really, there is no contradiction. Rather, it's a condition. The range of what an artful city can do. What can beat bricks warming up to the sun? The return of awnings. The removal of blankets from horses' backs. Tar softens under the heel and the darkness under bridges changes from gloom to cooling shade. After a light rain, when the leaves have come, tree limbs are like wet fingers playing in woolly green hair. Motor cars become black jet boxes, gliding behind hood weakened by mist. On sidewalks turned to satin, figures move shoulders first, the crowns of their heads angled shields against the light buckshot that the raindrops are. The faces of children glimpsed at windows appear to be crying, but it is the glass, pain dripping, that makes it seem so
0: that's a good that's a good passage and i i it, sh, it represents what exactly what we were talking about how dense the book is and how every sentence is like a mini poem
1: mhm and i i love this passage cuz it's not she's describing spring but she doesn't use any of the clichés or things that you would expect like she doesn't really talk about flowers or like rain showers it just to bring that up. She talks about, like, atmosphere and that it's made up of the people in it. And she still, like, manages to create this mood without having to resort to those more typical descriptions. Uh, the imagery I have in my head while you're saying the passage,
0: too, is uh, it feels very vivid. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the times when I'm having, like, a image in my head when I'm reading something, it's it's fuzzy or it's broken or... Unless it's been made into a movie, then I have very specific faces mm-hmm. in mind.
1: But I think she does a good job of creating a visual for the readers. Yeah, and her writing can be so sensual. Like she like jumps from one idea to other, but it's it's like so vivid. And and the other thing is like how she plays with words. Like there are, it may not make sense for me to say it. I have it like marked out, but there's one sentence like on sidewalks turned to satin. And there should be a comma there It should be on sidewalks turn to satin figures move shoulder first, but she doesn't put in a comma. So your mind reads satin and figures together Mm -hmm. and then you have to go back and reread it and it like forces you to do that repetitive motion and read it in different ways. And I, I just think it's brilliant. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, that's like exactly what we were talking about how we were going
0: back and reading passages over and over again because we didn't understand them. But I think your suggestion is good about reading the listening to the audiobook mm-hmm. because that whoever the narrator is hopefully has a sense of rhythm to the way that they narrate the book and that would help. Yeah. You know how when you like shake a snow globe. And then you watch it, like, settle. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, when you were reading that passage, I was reminded by that feeling. Mm. I feel like this whole book is, like, in the beginning, it's like you shake the snow globe and, like, they just give you all this information. And then the rest of the book, you're just kind of watching all the little
1: Pieces fall down. And yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's like a very contained world, the same yeah. thing that the snow globe is. Like everything's happening within, and, and yeah.
0: Yeah, and the narrator is just watching all of this happen mm-hmm. and describing
1: it, and yeah. It's a very yeah. poetic book. <laughs> Should we go on to Filter the Chai? Let's do it. You go first. Okay, so. I think I will give this book probably a seven out of ten. I think all the points it gets are for all the things that we talked about. It's just like beautiful writing style, touching on so many different themes and different layers to the story and the characters. Um, but I reading it wasn't joyful to me. Mm-hmm. And not that every book has to be joyful to read. Like, there's definitely books you can read to learn things, to broaden your horizons. Um, but I, I struggled to get through it, and I don't think I would pick it up again outside of an academic setting. Yeah. I think if I was going back to school to get like an English master's, or like I would write my club. thesis on this book.
0: Yeah. I, f- I feel like it's a good book club book as well. I feel like yeah, if you're any discussion in sections, settings, yeah. Mhm. yeah what about you so I did not have, know how to rate this book because like you said while I was reading it I didn't have the best time I was like really struggling and then I just started to analyze it as much as I could on my own and as I was analyzing it I started to like it more so I was like well do I rate it pre-analyzing or post-analyzing but so I'm just going to give it two ratings. My pre-analysis rating was a six. I know, that's mm-hmm. bad. But my <laughs> post-analysis rating was an eight, which is good. Okay. So which averages
1: I, out to my rating.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I could have just said seven. But, <laughs> but I felt like I had to explain because mm-hmm. regardless of like my six on 10 pre-analysis rating, I think I'd still recommend this book to people solely on the basis so that we could talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think if I read this book and we weren't doing this podcast, I would tell you to read it and be like, can you please read this book so we can talk about it? Because there's a lot to unpack here.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it works best in staged readings. And I almost would say that it would be really good for a high school English class, except that the fact that we're struggling to get through it and we're so much older and have probably read more books, I think high schoolers would struggle to get through it too. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it would be valuable. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So do you think that this book stands the test of time?
0: I wrote yes. And I think it's because I don't think this book is ever it's not trendy. It's not like it's it's set in the 1920s. So the fact that we're reading it even now already kind of says that it's already kind of sans- stands the test of time, English. Um. So I think that's why I said yes.
1: I am not sure. <laughs> I think I think it does, but I don't know if it will. Mm. Because I think that books that last through generations are books that have a universal, something reaches out and connects with the reader. Like if you think about like traditional classics, they are very accessible and they bring an emotion to a reader. Like I can read Jane Eyre now and still feel like I can connect with, Jane because of what she went through as a child and like, you know, kind of the early feminist notions, whatever. I don't know if this book can connect to everyone. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit more intellectual and you can understand the emotions that the book is going through, but because it doesn't give you that in a descriptive form, it's hard for, at least I felt like it's hard it was hard for the book to touch me emotionally as yeah. me. It more just affected me in the sense that I could understand for the somebody else's emotions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it could, but it might not. Yeah, such a cop-out answer. <laughs> I know. I was going to say it's not a real answer, but... No, but I get I it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I get it. I feel like this is such a hard book to, like, rate and answer that the timelessness question because it I don't know it was I'm glad we ended with this book I feel like it was an interesting read and
1: yeah yeah and when we have our break before the next season this is like a good book to think back on and Mm -hmm. have the time to like really let it percolate yeah for sure okay do you have a shelf discovery yes I do Um, I don't think it's quite as good as jazz, but I think it brings up some of the same, some of the similar feelings and themes. It's Disgrace by J.M. Coetzee. Um, it's basically set in post-apartheid South Africa, um, and it's about this professor and his daughter, um, and it's hard to kind of say what it's about without giving away too much of the story, but there's kind of a series of pretty horrible, tragic events that happen and um, it deals with the outcome of that and what happens. So that was why I thought it was a good recommendation for jazz because everything kind of follows from these events that occur and how people are affected in ways you wouldn't think about, At the beginning, it talks a lot about like sexism, men and women, ownership, colonialism. And I think it is more of a scholarly read. Definitely not a feel good read. I didn't feel good when I read it, but I thought it brought up some really important topics. Yeah, I don't have a shelf discovery I, because I, I don't think I've ever
0: read a book like, yeah, that was narrated like this. That I feel like story wise, I would maybe recommend Passing by Nella Larson that we did earlier this season just because mm-hmm. has a very similar vibe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything. So don't have a shelf discovery.
1: All right. So you guys only get one this time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, Well, this is our last episode this season. I know. So
1: fun. Okay, see you all next time. I hope you all have a great summer and look forward to sharing our next set of books with you. Yay. Thanks for listening to The Novelty. We are your
0: hosts, Neha and Trithi, and our music is created by Apurva Koti. We love to hear from you, so send us book recommendations, episode commentary, or even critical feedback.
1: You can find us on Instagram at thenovelty.pod or email us at thenovelty.pod at gmail.com. Until next time, happy reading.